Greatest Choice podcast, where we dive into the topics of singleness, fertility, motherhood, and choice. I'm your host, Katie B. Every episode, I'll deliver conversations with women in their fertile years who are grappling with what to do when life doesn't turn out as planned. You will also hear interviews with experts in the fields of fertility, personal development, choosing single motherhood, and more. Join us as we explore these topics and support each other along the way. Because what you decide to do with these years could be the single greatest choice you'll ever make, and you don't have to make it alone. Dr. Natalie Crawford is a reproductive endocrinologist and fertility specialist at Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Dr. Crawford is a leader and influencer in her field. She breaks the more traditional patient-doctor relationship model by really opening up her personal and professional life in an authentic and relatable way through Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and her podcast, As a Woman. Many of you probably already follow her, and if you don't, I really don't know what you've been doing because I reference her all the time. You know all those times I've told you what a big difference changing doctors has made in my story? Well, this is her. My doctor, a true badass extraordinaire, Dr. Natalie Crawford. Hi, Dr. Crawford. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I am so happy to have you on. When I first started this podcast, you were kind of the number one dream guest in my mind. And here we are, I'm at the very end of the season and kind of saved the best for last. So I am just thrilled to have you today. Thank you so much. Of course. You know, I'm so proud of you for starting this podcast, which always sounds like a funny thing to have a doctor say, but I find that sharing your story is the most powerful thing you can do. And the most impactful thing to other people is to hear that you are not alone. And I'm just so proud of you for being vulnerable and honest and brave and putting it out there. Thank you. And I think that part of why I connect so deeply with you is because you have shared your story as well. So you're not just a medical professional and this person that I only see in this one context. You've, you've really opened up your world on social media and in conversation. And I so appreciate that as well, because I think you're exactly right that it's our stories that really make a difference with one another and just feeling less alone. So I'd love to start with a little bit of your story, just who you are, how you found your way into reproductive medicine. Sure. Well, So I'm an RE, so I'm a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. I practice in Austin. So we just started a brand new practice called Fora Fertility, which is truly a highlight of a dream come true. So it's myself and my partner, Dr. Amanda Skillern. But my story starts back, you know, much earlier. You know, I always wanted to be a doctor. That was my obvious path. I had no idea that you could even be a fertility doctor in this tiny little field. And I actually matched into emergency medicine. So I was an ER doctor for a year, which a lot of people don't know. And I loved it. I loved clinical medicine, but something was missing to the point where I was really, really unhappy. And what I realized was that I had let the opinions of a lot of other people drive my decision-making and people telling me that I couldn't be this type of doctor and be a mom or have a family and I'd have to sacrifice certain things. I let their opinions carry a lot of weight in making that decision of doing emergency medicine, because I heard feedback that, you know, the residency program's not long and you can do shift work and all of this stuff. And when I was in it, I realized I didn't make that decision for me. And I switched into OBGYN, which is women's health was truly my passion. And I really fell in love with the hormones and I'm super nerdy. So I love how the hormone systems all connect. And I loved getting to know each person individually. That is what the emergency room, it's a fabulous job, but that's what it lacked. And my peers who were amazing 
when they left, they turned off the switch and they didn't think about what happened next. And I realized I'm like full on in. I want to know everything that happens. Did I do the right thing or not? What's the end of the story? So changing over to OBGYN really was the perfect thing for me. I did a whole year of emergency medicine before I switched. That's a very difficult process in the medical world. And a lot of people had things to say about it. But it was very empowering to me to make a decision for me without what everybody else wanted to say. And that really changed the whole trajectory of my career. And then when I said, well, I want to do reproductive endocrinology, I want to be an RE because this fertility population, it's such a vulnerable time in your life and it's so poorly understood. And I want to see women through that journey. Well, it's a really competitive field. And so everybody had something to say about that. You shouldn't set yourself up for failure. It's really hard. You need to do X, Y, or Z. But I matched into fellowship. I was at UNC, which is in Chapel Hill. It's a fabulous program. And I loved it. And then I came back to Austin about four years ago. And I'm now at my third practice in town, which sounds crazy, but (laughs) I just have always lived with the mentality ever since I made that change from ER to OBGYN that life is too short to just be afraid. And if something's not right, leave it. Just leave it and move on to the next thing. Because if you're not serving yourself, if you can't kind of at your core be at peace or be happy, you're not going to be able to kind of reconcile everything else. And so I left one practice that was just a little bit different. The priorities were different, I think is the easiest way to say. I really wanted to make the patient's journey better and it wasn't really set up to be very patient-centric. And that's okay. Every practice is different, but it wasn't a good fit. And so leaving that, I went to a practice in town that was more corporate-based and had pros and cons, but I feel like it allowed me to practice with, in some ways, more autonomy, but some ways less. And I really wanted to control. I'm very controlling. So I really wanted to say that if a patient had something negative to say about their experience, I wanted to be in the position of power to say, great, let's fix it. Let's make that better. I don't leave my kids at home to go do a job and then have people unhappy with how it's done. I do it because it really, really inspires me. But along the way, like my story's not been linear. I had infertility. I had pregnancy loss. I had three miscarriages and then an ectopic pregnancy. So my kiddos were babies five and six. And that whole experience made me feel I'm going to be the fertility doctor who doesn't have kids. It was a really emotional time. I didn't tell anybody. I did the opposite of what I tell people now. I followed the general mentality of don't tell anybody you're pregnant because what if something goes wrong? And I left myself in a real emotional pit when things went wrong. And I didn't have people to support me because I hadn't shared what was happening. And that taught me a lot about what it's like to be on the other side of this journey and really look at each patient, not as a patient, but just as a woman. And what if this was me or my sister, my best friend, and how can I make this better? And my core premise is that education is what makes it better. If you can understand what you're going through, why different choices are being made, what your choices are, if you're the one making that choice, it is easier to handle whatever happens on the other side. I tell patients all the time, I can't control the outcome. I mean, I try my hardest to control the outcome, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to have 100% success. That's a really hard thing for an OCD controlling physician, but that is how (laughs) fertility is. But what I can control is your experience throughout the journey. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know why we're doing it? Do you feel good with these choices? And have I set you up for success? 
So I've really shifted, you know, my views into, is my real goal to get you pregnant? No, I mean, that's really what I'd love to have happen. But my real goal is that you feel like this journey was as supported and you were as educated as possible along the way. Yeah. So that's me. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it is just so clear to me what an educator you really are. And I'm, I just want to say, I'm so thankful. Number one, that you didn't listen to those naysayers who told you that this field was going to be too hard or make it hard to have a family or too competitive or any of those things, because there are so many of us who benefit directly from being your patients. But then even beyond that, the impact that you're having in your field and with your social media presence, one of my first introduction to you was actually not a super positive one, not a face-to-face interaction, but someone, I was told that you were a doctor who was just really a little too focused on social media and your podcast. And that was conveyed in, in kind of a negative way. And so I was curious and I checked it out and I was like, oh my God, no wonder she's focused on this. This is amazing. And I mean, you are just, you're such a badass in your field. You are absolutely changing experiences for women. And I'm just so thankful that you can look at this from a more holistic lens and that you're not just drilled down to my job is to get a woman pregnant, but looking at that experience and that education and that understanding and that human, just that humanity between, you know, from woman to woman. And I love that your podcast is called as a woman and just really acknowledges the struggles that we all have. And, you know, as a woman, just the things that we face in the workplace and friendships and fertility you know, all of that. And I'm just so very thankful that you have not given up. And I kind of jokingly think of you as the patron saint of leaving. (laughs) And I think you're such a good model. I mean, that sounds funny, but like, you're such a good model at when it's not working, something can be good. And it also can be not the right fit anymore. And you can walk away without burning bridges and causing drama. And just, you know, you can just say, this is not right. This is not quite right. And I'm moving on. And I think so many of us can learn from the way you're living your life and the way that you're practicing medicine. Oh, you're so sweet. I always tell people, I I have a lot of people approach me because I've been really public about leaving jobs and, you know, I'm not blaming other people. I'm always saying, realizing what you need is actually a very big strength and it is completely okay if somebody else doesn't have that and being able to address that and figure out what you need. That's good. It looks like it's all rosy on the Instagram side of things. Like, yay, I got a new job, you know, behind the (laughs) scenes, there's a lot of turmoil. I mean, and self-doubt to come to that realization is not easy. I think at first you're feeling like something's not right. Is it me? Is it this? What do I do? What do I need? And it takes a lot of self-reflection and time and really being honest, even when it's kind of ugly about yourself to get to those moments. And it's so funny your first introduction to me. I mean, that's just so ironic in so many ways. But I do think it says that, you know, I started my Instagram account about four years ago. And when I did, there were no fertility doctors on Instagram. I mean, Instagram right now, there's such a robust community of people talking about their fertility journeys. And there's so many great fertility professionals. I love it. There were so few doctors on Instagram. There were a couple who I saw in different fields and they were doing educating. And I felt like every day I was a fellow, but we had patients that I would sit with women who were freaking amazing. Lawyers, professors, world travelers, educated, brilliant women, and they didn't understand their fertility. Nobody had told them. They didn't know where to find out information about it. 
they just had focused on their other goals and figured that, you know, they could figure this out or that it wouldn't be a problem for them. And I really was shocked every time when a woman told me, I wish I'd known this earlier. This would have changed my life to have known this earlier. Why does nobody tell us? Yes. And I heard it so many times that I said, well, you can only sit across from so many people on a given day. And I, and I love those interactions. And I never want anybody to think that Instagram is more important than my patients because that's not the truth. But the reality is if you stand on a bigger stage, you can reach more people and you don't have to have the exact same relationship. But all it takes is one person reading something and understanding that they could make a different choice or there's something else to learn or they could go to a new doctor or they could go to a doctor or they, you know, there's so many different choices. If you've never been exposed to it and you've not been taught or educated about your fertility, that you can make one post and it could reach one person and they could make one decision that's different. That is very powerful. And so that was really my catalyst to starting my Instagram account at a place where I got a lot of negative pushback in the field, though that's, we don't, physicians and fertility don't do like direct to consumer marketing. You shouldn't put yourself out there. You need to keep this information in the visit. This is why people come to you to get this information. And that didn't make any sense to me. Mm -mm. <laughs> I mean, I was like, wait, I mean, I'm a woman who just went through infertility myself and literally I was on the like what to expect forums as a fertility doctor trying to figure stuff out because people weren't on Instagram and other places yet. And what, is, what sense does that make? Why do you have to come see me? There's only so many of us. And some cities, there's no fertility doctors. This should be public knowledge. And that really just has been the line I've walked the whole time. And it's funny to see the field change, which I love. So people will often say, oh, do you feel intimidated by all these other fertility doctors on Instagram or on doing podcasts now or on TikTok. No, I love it. The more the merrier, the more people sharing the same message, but in slightly different ways with slightly different audiences. That's how we change this whole dynamic. My goal would be that I never hear women say that again. Like I'd rather women sit across from me and not say, I wish I'd known this earlier. I'd rather see them earlier or make sure that they knew this already, so that it becomes so ingrained in our community that we're talking about it. And I've already seen a huge shift, which makes me happy. I love that so much. And I don't think it does me any good to compete with these other people. I don't see it as detracting from my ability to take care of patients. I don't work on Mondays. So if you're really upset that your doctor doesn't work on Mondays, <laughs> like that's the only thing, but that's the time that I've kind of carved out that I can give to these other things so that I can put time into them. And yes, it takes a lot, but it's funny. Now the field is very accepting and people will ask me to do things and speak on things because I'm like this leader, which I never sought out to go be like, I want to change REI. <laughs> but I really just felt like this doesn't make any sense to me. Why should women not have this information? And how can we give information to people? You have to go where they are. And social media is where people are. And podcasts is where people are. The power right. of a podcast it blew me away, blew me away starting my podcast a year and a half ago, what an impact it can have to let people hear your voice and really hear, you know, your story or other people's stories. So, yeah, I absolutely. I think, you know, as far as being your patient, you and I have had one, two, maybe consults face-to-face -face and a few appointments, the amount of time that you've spent sort of 
physically in that doctor role with me has been very little in terms of the minutes in the room. But the reason why when I ask you a question and you respond to me and I don't second guess or wonder if you have my best interest in mind or wonder your motives or any of that is because I've heard you talk on your podcast. I've seen your social media presence. I've read the words that you've written and I know I trust you. And a lot of that comes from the actual relationship that we have, but a lot of it too comes from you being vulnerable and open and real about who you are as a person and me feeling like, yep, that's my doctor. Like that's the woman that I want in charge of my fertility journey. For someone else, they may not jive with that. And that's good. Like you kind of want them to then go find the doctor that, that works. Yes, totally. And I, I love that you said that so much. I am in no competition for patients if I'm not the right doctor for everybody. Some people get real nervous about the social media thing and I'm not going to go put you all over it, but I'm putting me all over it, you right. know, and if that doesn't feel right to you or you need somebody who's just going to tell you what to do, that's not me. Like that's mm-hmm. not the, I will give you your options. I'll tell you which one I would do, which one I think you should do, but we're going to talk about them all. And you have to make the choice. You are driving the car. Like I may be in the passenger seat mm-hmm. giving you some guidance, but this is your journey, not mine. And I feel really committed to that aspect of this, mm-hmm. but that doesn't, that's not for everybody. Some people really, maybe they don't want to have that much of an active role or they want to be told what to do. And I, and I understand that. And I think that there's different doctors for everybody and there's different ways of practicing and a lot of how you practice is also influenced by the clinic you're at and different things so Mm -hmm. it's all wrapped up together my version of the relationship is that I feel like you and I tell patients this all the time like you should not feel afraid to reach out to me that to me is not a healthy relationship if you have a question and you don't feel like you can ask your doctor what is the point of your doctor then? You know, to me, that doesn't make any sense. And so I always try to express that the best of my ability to everybody. And whether it's an appointment or an email or this or that, that you should know that I'm on your team and, you know, you should be able to ask your team members for questions. And that's not the relationship everybody has. And I think that's an important thing when you're trying to look for a doctor is figuring out what you need and can that person or that clinic provide the things that you need. That's a great point. And so thinking a little bit more about that, because I know that's part of the discussion that that happens frequently in this space of, of women going through fertility treatment and um, choosing a clinic, what, what advice do you have for Like how, if I'm just starting from square one, what do I even ask? What do I look for? How do I know if it's a good fit for me? So I think what most people do is they look at like what clinic is closest or what takes their insurance and they just show up there. And I think there's a lot of things that probably matter more than the closest. I mean, I mean, just, <laughs> yes, you know, that's what out. I did. Like, that was not yeah, a good I mean, move. That's what A lot of people do. That's fine. That makes a lot of sense. And that's why in some big cities, you will see that a practice literally has like 14 different offices so that they can physically be the closest. But the things that I think really you should think about or inquire about, and sometimes they're hard to know, but one is what is the style of the doctor? And you may not know that until you have a consultation of which I say, it's okay to try places out. You don't have to be committed just because you schedule an initial consultation. We see this all the time. What is a doctor's style? Do you feel comfortable with this person? Can you ask them questions? Are they going to educate you or are they going to 
give you other resources. Not saying one is better than the other, but you should know what you're going to get from that Mm -hmm. encounter. What does your team look like? Do you have one assigned nurse? Is there a pool of nurses? How do they communicate? Is this, they're going to give you a phone call. They're going to email you. There's a patient portal. I use the example all the time. I will like not answer my phone almost for anything. It's so hard. And I have a bajillion voicemails that I will never listen to. I'm not a good phone person. So if I have a clinic that's only going to communicate with me on phone, we may not be a good fit. Mm -hmm. I may need emails. I may need a portal. So understanding how are they going to communicate with you and who do you communicate with? I hear a lot of times I see my doctor for one visit and I never see them again. Nurses do ultrasounds. Nurses call me with results. I ask all my questions to nurses. I don't see the doctor until the cycle's over. And that's okay, but you need to know that going into it. So who are you seeing? When are your touch points? Do you get follow-ups after cycles or does the doctor just make a plan and you just do the plan? Fertility is such a different world than your general doctor. I think that, you know, money and insurance and out of network and those things are important for your financial state, but money or location are not your top concerns. I know that people think that they are, but time is your most precious commodity. It truly, truly is. And knowing that you're in a place that's going to have your best interest at heart, trusting your clinic and your doctor is huge because then you have more time in your life for other things. If you're second guessing everything your doctor says or your nurse, cause you never talk to your doctor and then you're Googling stuff and you're hunting on the forums <laughs> and you're stressing yourself out. Well, that's time that you're one stressing yourself out and two, you're not outliving the other parts of your life because yes. fertility treatment is very consuming. We know that, but it should not be your whole life. So if you can give that burden to somebody else and trust them, then you're going to be able to go to yoga and go for a walk. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that's so important too for your own mental health through the journey. I think that's probably the biggest difference. One, well, there are a lot of differences between my first clinic experience and my second clinic experience. But I mean, in the first situation, I had an IUI cycle where I went in for what I thought was just kind of a, a ultrasound, you know, check progress, see where we are. And I had expected that the IUI would be like three to four days after that, because that was what had happened in previous cycles. Mm -hmm. And the doctor said, Nope, we're doing this today. And I was so distrusting that I came home. We had about an hour between that appointment. And he was like, you know, we need to thaw the sperm and I need you to come back. And so I came home and took an ovulation predictor test because I didn't trust that the timing was right. Like we hadn't done a trigger. We hadn't, you know, and it was negative. And then I had to sit on like, do I say something? Do I just let the whole month go? Because I'm pretty sure we're about to waste a bunch of money and time. And, and I didn't say anything. It it was terrible. So I, I think that the amount of time I spent outside of my doctor's appointments, outside of my clinic visits, doing the work on my own, because I didn't trust the situation that I was in, like that was all consuming. Whereas switching over to my lovely doctor, (laughs) you know, I just trusted, like, I just, I knew that we had the right protocol and that if we didn't, it was, you know, you had my very best interest in mind and you were looking at all of the data and I could just kind of flow with what was going on. And I think even you mentioned the billing and how it's not the most important thing, but that was kind of a difference too, that in one scenario I walked in and I was like, well, they may not ask me for any money. It may be $500. It could be $1,000. I have no idea what they're going to ask me for versus 
in the second scenario, it was a package. So it was a big number, but it was one number and I paid it. And then I never got asked for money again. And just that difference felt huge just to know that no matter what, because sometimes you're walking out with not great news or disappointing news, and then you get slapped with a bill at the same time. And that's just too much, you know? So I love the idea of having it kind of all in a package. I agree with that. I think that's another part of setting expectations. I tell people every day, you can handle anything. You really can handle anything I throw at you, but you're going to handle it better if you know what it is. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you're going to run a race. Are you running one mile or are you running a marathon? I think you can do either, but it's best to know what you're running. So you know what's happening. And so if you think you're doing a mile, but the course is, you know, a whole marathon, that's really hard to kind of survive. And you're going to feel panicked and you're not going to feel supported. Whereas if that's what you know you're doing, that's what you know. So I agree the same way. You know, we do package pricing. This is the cost. It doesn't matter if it's like one or 500 ultrasounds. And you know from the beginning what's happening because that's an extra stress. I just find that so many women, you're a great example because you're super educated and you advocate for yourself, but you felt trapped in a scenario that your gut kept telling you was not good, yet you didn't know how to leave. Was it guilt or you felt like you'd already had this investment and this person already knows your story and your history and it feels like a burden to leave in Mm -hmm. a way? But really, it's really freeing to leave something if it's not a good fit because it's so much extra stress on you that you can't even, maybe you don't even realize it in some of the moments. Like, you know, something's not right, but I don't think you really comprehend until you're out of the environment. Right. Looking back, like, gosh, like I wasn't getting what I need from that relationship. And so if you're not getting what you need out of it, and it may be the doctor's fault, it may be the clinic's fault, maybe it's something totally different. But if you're not getting what you need, you need to find something else. You owe it to yourself to find something that's going to fit your needs better. Absolutely. I think that is my number one platform on this podcast and and social media. The two things that I say all the time are don't rely on other people's stories or statistics to determine your own fertility. Like you've got to go figure out your own numbers, your own scenario. That, and if you're not happy, leave, (laughs) you know, if you're, if you feel stuck, leave, if you're walking on eggshells or worried about phrasing things the right way or not being too emotional or, you know, any of those things, you are the customer, right? You are the client and it is a relationship. And had I been dating that person or friends with that person, like it would have ended a lot lot earlier, you know? You don't usually have a relationship like this with a physician. That's why I chose this field because I wanted to have this relationship with patients. But in most of our cases, when we get up to this point, we've never had such an intimate relationship. We have seen our, you know, gynecologist for a yearly visit and that's it. Unless you had a serious medical problem, unless you had cancer and you had an oncologist or something like that, you haven't had a doctor that you see this much and that you rely on this much. And that really is influencing what happens in your treatment. You know, and there's so many different places and we all practice different, but I mean, like there are places that really believe everybody must progress from the least aggressive treatment to the most aggressive. So it's like, you have to jump through these hoops before you can do this. That's not my approach. I'm thinking here are the different arenas, what's going to fit your need the best. And if somebody Mm -hmm. comes in and they want to be more aggressive because they want to preserve future fertility or time is important to them. I'm all for it. But there are doctors who are not like that. We all come from different spots and I'm not going to sit here and say one's right and one's wrong, but it's important to know 
if what you feel, oh, I heard this podcast and I'm really interested in freezing my eggs and I went to see a doctor who told me I was too young to do it, maybe get a second opinion. Right. (laughs) I mean, definitely get a second opinion. There's nothing wrong with getting other opinions. And right now in COVID, we're all, I mean, so many of us are doing telemedicine appointments. That is low hanging fruit. You can really sit here, talk to a doctor, send your records over, have somebody review your chart and talk to you about what they would do. And maybe it just reconfirms what you've already been told and you feel more comfortable where you are and you stay at your clinic, but you feel better about it. That's great. Maybe you say, oh my gosh, nobody's told me this. I didn't know that was a choice. I need to go somewhere new. And whether it's to the doctor you do a telemedicine appointment with or somebody different, it doesn't really matter as long as you're the one driving the car. Right. So I think that that's really important that for some reason people just feel really trapped with one doctor. And I see people stay until they've gone much further in care. And if you're not getting something right, please feel empowered to advocate for yourself and ask questions, ask what things are going to be like. And if you're not getting answers slash don't feel like you can ask, then that's not the right place. And you deserve somewhere where you feel more comfortable. We could talk about that all day long. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think on top of the comfort level, another thing I think is, I don't even really know how to put this into words, but just, I guess kind of just the general like mindset or positivity level of the doctor, because I think that this field is really tricky because you have to be realistic with your patients. Like you don't want to set people up with these super high hopes if you know or suspect or even just know there's a possibility that they're going to be crushed, right? So you have to be yes. realistic. But also you it can err on the side of like too fatalistic about the results. I mean, I was basically led to believe that the seven eggs that I had frozen a year ago were just worth absolutely nothing. Like it just, well, that didn't work. That was a bad outcome. You know, in reality, I have five healthy embryos and two of them came from those frozen yes. eggs. I mean, they were so worth the investment. Absolutely. But at the time I moved into IUI, I mean, I was in a relationship that ended and I went into IUI totally unready to actually become pregnant because I believed that my seven eggs were worth absolutely nothing. You felt pressured in a way to make a decision that wasn't right for you because you felt like it was the only one. Right. And so I think that something you do just absolutely beautifully is to balance that realistic expectation with hope and positivity and just a positive mindset that like, we're going to do all we can do and then we'll see. And if it doesn't work out, we'll move forward. And, you know, with you, we did fertilize those frozen eggs along with a batch of fresh eggs. And what ended up happening was I ended up with kind of more than what I, I kind of wished I hadn't touched those frozen eggs because they were worth a lot more than I thought they were. And I just sort of threw them in because I was like, oh, we'll see, you know, but even though in hindsight, I might've done that differently, the way that we together made that decision was so well thought out and was so intentional. And I had so much trust in you as my doctor to help me make that decision that I can have zero regrets because it, it just, it made total sense to do that. And I think that that's, I don't know what to call that, but it's that teammate, like we're in it together. And of course you're not a fortune teller. Like you don't know, you can't predict you know, exactly what's going to happen. But even when you're off or, you know, results are different than, than what's expected. It still is so obvious that it's coming from this place of like, I am giving you the very best. Like, I know when you're advising me, you're telling me what you would do for yourself and for your sister and for your best friend. And so I trust it. 
I love that. You're going to make me sit here and cry. Um, you know, I think it's just, it's such a fair point that this journey for, for nobody is linear and it is unique. And if anybody's listened to my podcast and I know you have, you know, my very first episode is what is your goal? And I really try to touch on this with everybody because I feel like if you're sitting there, I mean, yes, the obvious goal is I want to have a baby, but what does that mean? Do you want a baby now in the future with this partner by yourself? How many kids do you want? Like, does the plan that you have, because maybe you've never verbalized it to anybody, but you have a plan, like you're thinking about something. Yeah. And if that plan does not make any sense, you are not going to be happy with me, right? If I let you kind of walk down the road with a plan that makes no sense, we are not going to be in the same place because that plan may not work or probably won't work. So if I can get you to verbalize it and we can talk about it realistically, and as you said, I don't do, I, I win nothing by making you think a plan's going to work if it's not going to work. That's only a recipe to have you be upset with me. Mm-hmm. So trying to set the stage for, hey, this is the case. Like, because, you know, you're, you don't have as many eggs as we think. We may have to do multiple cycles and that's okay. You can get through it. We can have the same outcome. We just have to view this differently. Or we may have to freeze some as eggs or fertilize them and really play the math. And realizing you said it earlier you know, odds and expectations, like those are really helpful to set expectations. We use population-based data to kind of come up with odds of how many eggs usually make it into embryos. But until you do it, you do not know. Right. Leaning on that data as your data, especially when you look at what age does fertility start to decline? Oh, okay. I can keep waiting. Like, what if that's not you? And then You've just put yourself into a big hole that maybe you didn't have to be in if you had just gone earlier. So I always think that women who are younger, especially who are purposefully delaying getting pregnant. So I always say, hey, if you're 30, hitting 30 to 32, and you know pregnancy is not in the near future, you know, you're not ready to start trying now, trying in the near future because you're not in a relationship, your relationship's unstable you're chasing career goals, you just don't feel ready, you're not sure if you want kids, whatever the reason is, if you come in and get just an assessment, literally it's talking about your goals, an ultrasound, and some blood work. We can have a better idea if the current plan, wait and do nothing, is going to harm you. You know, and so say, hey, looks like right now at least you don't have low ovarian reserve. You say you maybe want one to two kids. I think it's totally fine to just see where you are in a couple years. You know, there's no guarantees, but oh my gosh, I've had women come to me at 28 and now they have low ovarian reserve. And suddenly this plan of I'm, you know, not going to start trying to have kids till I'm 35 may be really, really hard to achieve. Mm -hmm. And they really do make different decisions. And yes, egg freezing can be money and it's time, but money you can find, you know, I mean, I'm not going to act like money is nothing because it is, and it's expensive. And I wish people look at me, they're like, can't this be cheaper? And I was like, do you know what they do in the lab? This is like micro microscopic and it's amazing. Right. I, it's, it's cheaper than it used to be. And hopefully, you know, it'll get better over time. But I think that it's expensive because it's, it's amazing. Yes. We are taking our gametes, single cells out of our body and preserving the ability to have children later. That's fabulous. But we can often find money, you know, whether it's credit cards or loans, you know, whether, you know, savings, et cetera. It's not easy. So I don't act like it's not. But if you run out of time, you run out of time. And there's no finding more time 
for your own genetic child. There's other options that are lovely. So, you know, you can have donor eggs and that's fine. You want to understand what that option is because if you're open to it, you may feel different about your own fertility. But if you really want to have that genetic child, we need to view your fertility as trying to do the best thing we can to have that goal accomplished. Mm -hmm. I worked with a coach early on in this process and she's actually who inspired me to start training to become a coach myself. And one of the things that she said that I thought was just so profound is our earning potential in our lifetime is infinite. Like you have no idea what could happen and what you will come up with. And, you know, we, as women, like we're scrappy, we'll figure this stuff out. You've got your whole life to figure out the money stuff. So your earning potential is infinite, but your fertility is finite. So if you have to dip into reserves, if you have to get a second job, if you have to get a roommate, like whatever it is for now, in order to take care of this thing. And it, it sucks. Like it sucks that we have to spend the money as, you know, single women who are waiting, you know, to find this partner and it's not fair, but you can sit there and be upset about how it's not fair and let it, let the ship sail, or you can figure it out, you know? And and I understand we're all in very different financial situations, but I do think you borrow money to buy a car, student loans. Like there's so many times where we find money for the things that are important to us. And I just, I think this is the most important thing. If it, if it is to you, you know, yes. I love that your coach said that. I think what's so interesting is for some women, there is guilt about spending the money towards this. Mm-hmm. Like you just said, we don't feel guilty about spending it towards a car or towards student loans or, or a mortgage, but it feels selfish. Some people really do feel like there's some internal thing that it's selfish to use the money for this. And I always think it's, it's actually, it's not selfish at all. It's, it's a great form of self-care because studies have even shown, let's say you freeze your eggs. So you find money, you freeze your eggs even if you never use them for whatever reason, you get pregnant naturally, you, you know, find a partner who has kids and doesn't want anymore, or you just decide you don't want any kids or you adopt whatever happens. That return on the investment is so high because you feel comfortable with your decisions and you're not worrying about it. You take that stress over thinking about your fertility and what can happen kind of out of the picture because you know, you have an option. You don't know what that option will be but you've kept a door open. Yes. And that is setting yourself up for success. And I think about myself this way because egg freezing was experimental until 2012. Right. So when I was a medical student and a resident, this was not something that happened. And I remember in med school sitting with my friends and studying and thinking, I'm not going to be able to have kids for a long time. Like I know this literally looking at different career paths and thinking about when you can have kids and when does your fertility start to decline and being fearful, like actually kind of having that anxiety, but feeling like there was nothing I could do about it Mm -hmm. because I wasn't ready. Like in 0% was I ready. I just wanted to, like, it was a goal yet. I had no options of what I could do with the goal. So here we are now, you know, at a completely different place where you can come to me as a med student. I see tons of the med students or residents here and I, I love it because they say, I want to have kids, but I, I'm not sure what to do. And they go through and freeze their eggs. And when I hear from them later, they are so, they just, that gives you comfort, just kind of knowing you've got that in the reserve. And yes, as you're a student with tons of loans, not like you have an extra 10 grand just sitting around, but by finding the money, it's now put them in this place of feeling empowered that no matter what happened, they made a choice that was in line with their goals and set themselves up for success. And that is just, 
so important. So I find that people get really bogged down sometimes in the financial aspect of it, you know, and, and I understand that, but I always say you really have four resources when it comes to fertility. You have your money, which is the one we always think about the most, just because that's how life is. You've got your mental health. Studies have shown that more people drop out of trying to get pregnant from fertility treatments, even with good prognosis, because at some point they just feel like they cannot take it. And so studies have shown that in mandated states, so a mandated state is where they have to cover like up to three IVF mm-hmm. cycles and transfers. So employers have to cover it. People will drop out of treatment because they just mentally can't take going through it anymore. And so that's actually one of the number one reasons for dropout. There's what you physically can take, you know, your physical body. At some point you may say, I can't do this anymore. And then there's time and time is the harshest one of all of them. And so we, when you're balancing all of these, you really have to think about it, you know, and I'm not going to try to pretend like the mental game is not important. I think it's second right under time. So it's like time is time. When you're out of time, you're out of time. doesn't mean you don't have other options, but this plan A may no longer be an option for you of having your own genetic children. But, you know, the mental game is really one of the things you can control the most by having a team, by sharing with friends and family members what you're going through, by finding an online community, by having a doctor that you trust and a clinic that you like, by understanding what your financial responsibility is so you can plan for it, by eating healthy, by taking care of yourself, like limiting toxins, taking vitamins, And by limiting your other stress that you can control, can you go to acupuncture? Can you go to therapy? Can you do yoga? Like what things can you control? Mm -hmm. Those are the things that can really set you up to say, hey, wherever this journey leads, whatever's at the end of this road, I feel comfortable that I was on the best road I could be on. You know, I did my part of it. Yeah. That's really a huge point of getting there and not having regrets about what the journey looked like. Yes, definitely. I think, gosh, so much of what you said resonates with me. And it's interesting. I think we are the exact same age. So the time frame. I mean, you were married and I was not, I was getting divorced when you were having your babies or, or going through your fertility stuff. Like I was fresh back on the market, yeah. <laughs> which was so hard, but I honestly was, was very hopeful for the first few years. And at that point, egg freezing was a thing that you were starting to see, you know, in movies and media. And I don't know if I did know anyone who had done it, they weren't talking about it. It just felt a little bit inaccessible. But I think the main thing for me was not, I mean, I personally didn't have the money, but I'm very fortunate to come from a family where I knew money wasn't going to be the issue. If I had asked for help in the form of loans or gifts or, you know, I could have made it happen. But for me, I really thought it was like a signal to the universe that I was going to need that, you know? And so I sort of like threw my energy into dating and then dating even like more and more frantically because it just felt like it felt a little desperate to freeze eggs. And I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, that was so silly. And I just have to have compassion for myself because, you know, you only know what you know, but it's sort of like how online dating, like in the early stages, it was like, Oh my God, you met someone online. And then over time, it just became the way people meet, you know, it's egg freezing a little bit feels like that. Like, I think there was a little bit of a stigma attached to it where if I had frozen my eggs early on, I'm not sure I would have told people about it. Like it would have been like, why wouldn't you just meet someone? You know, like what's wrong with you that you couldn't just meet someone? (laughs) Totally. I mean, that's society stigma, right? Totally. Exactly. As you said, I think that's a great analogy to compare it to online dating because when it first came out, 
women weren't very trusting of it. We weren't publicizing it. I don't want to say like, you know, it needed a good PR campaign. Mm-hmm. Anything that's new, nobody, if nobody knows about it, it kind of seems weird. And so why are you doing this? And really at first, even when it was, you know, non-experimental, I was purely patients who like had cancer or, you know, had medical problems that really needed to preserve their fertility that were freezing their eggs. Everybody else was fertilizing eggs with sperm and making them into embryos and freezing embryos. And the field has done a big shift. And I really think, you know, egg freezing of this generation is like what birth control was previously. Mm -hmm. It is putting you in the position of being empowered in your own advocate for your fertility. I think that, yeah, it's at a bigger price tag than birth control pills. And there's still some stigma with it. I still will have people say their moms or their aunts or whoever are really tied to that societal idea. You say this a lot, you know, love, marriage, baby carriage. Like, Mm -hmm. why are you putting the baby part first? And I like to reframe it as, especially if you're a planner and you say, these are things that I want out of my life. You know, I want to have a career that I love and I want to have, you know, a child and be a mom. Why do we put every, literally all our eggs in the career basket and totally ignore the child one? You know, if you're a goal-oriented woman and this is one of your goals, we should address it as well because you're going to be one of the people sitting in my office saying, why didn't I do this earlier? Why didn't I know about this? I could have made different choices. And you never know what choice you'll make until you have the data. And And I see this every day. Some women get data really shocking about their own fertility and they make decisions completely out of line with what they previously thought, and they're okay with it. And mm-hmm. luckily, they're the one making that choice. The next thing that's under a huge stigma right now, egg freezing is becoming more accepted, but man, egg donation sure has a lot of stigma with it. And people aren't talking about when they use donor egg. It's still really weird and shameful to some people, even though a ton of celebrities do it. And it truly is beautiful. And I like to use the same analogy for both. What a powerful statement to a future child that you are willing to go through these things that are not normal in order to bring them into the world, that mm-hmm. you are willing to prioritize being a mother so much that you are doing donor egg or having a gestational carrier or freezing your eggs or using a sperm donor, whatever it is, Right, is, you're going down a path that is off of the standard because your desire, you have it in you to be a mom. Mm -hmm. and to be that parent and to bring that child into the world. And I think that's so powerful. And when you reframe it that way, it doesn't matter what society's saying over there. They don't know your true goals. So just like me leaving ER to go to OBGYN, right? People are going to say lots of stuff about it. And it's not all going to be pretty if you're freezing your eggs or trying to be a single mom by choice or you're having a surrogate for XYZ reason or you're using an egg or an embryo donor. People are going to say stuff. That's okay. You know, let them say things. I still think sharing your story and your truth is worth it because you're going to touch the lives who need to hear it. And it's going to help you be honest with yourself. And that's the interesting point that when you're putting it out there, you really can learn how you feel about things and you learn a lot about yourself along the way. But let them say things because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, this is your journey, your one life that you have to make the decisions, they're going to lead you to your happiest, most authentic place. So who cares what the other people say? They're going to say things no matter what, right? Like we all know that's so true. So we can't make decisions based out of fear of either failing or letting people down or criticism. We have to 
understand what's important to us and start making them. So I'm thrilled that egg freezing is starting to become into a more accepted place. And obviously celebrities are sharing their stories and regular people are, it's really powerful. And I can't wait till we see you're doing a great job with, you know, single mom by choice. And I have patients find me because they hear, or they read in a Facebook group, or they heard from a friend that I'm a supporter of single moms by choice. And it always blows my mind because I think, are people not? Do people not support this? Like, oh, definitely not. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, it, it blows my mind as a, you know what I mean? And same thing with, I have a, like a lot of LGBTQ patients and they're like, oh, yeah, we found you because you're in the lesbian fertility Facebook group. People mm-hmm. like you because you're a supporter, which I mean, I just believe whatever you want your family to look like, I want it to look like that too. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to try to help you get there. But every time I'm just shocked by, Oh, well, not, not all doctors are supportive of single mothers or they try to be really dictative of how you get to your goal and the same thing with, you know, lesbian couples. And I just want to say a huge apology to anybody who's experiencing that, if they, especially if it's from your care team or your care provider, because we're not all like that. There's a mm-hmm. lot of us who are here for you. And every single mom by choice that I see, I'm like, wow, you are a badass woman because being a mom is not easy. It's the hardest thing that I do and making the choice that I feel so in my heart that I'm ready to be a mom and that this is on my to-do list and I'm just going to go for it to bring this child into the world. Man, that is strong, strong, strong. And I respect it so much. So I love it. Thank you so much for advocating and, and even just recognizing that this is a demographic that does get some kind of shade thrown on it, because that was not something I had even thought about going into it. And I actually had the previous doctor say something about you're a demographic I haven't worked with much. And I was like, wait, what white women in their thirties? Like what demographic are we talking about? What am I? Right. I didn't even, it didn't even register that he was talking about me being single, but I think in the same way, and I have a, close friends and family members who are LGBT and talk about like, why do people feel entitled to know about like our sex life just because it's different than theirs? Like it's, ooh, that's weird. Like I don't walk around asking like hetero couples about their sex life. I feel like as a, as a single mom by choice, um, people feel entitled to know like, well, are you financially ready to do that? I'm like, well, were you and your husband? Like, I don't, yeah, no, why, you why know, or like mental health, up, like, and you have the maternity. I mean, people ask a lot yeah. of really uh, insensitive and wrong questions. Like, how are you going to handle the crying baby in the middle of the night? I'm like, I, how did that go for you? Probably roughly the same. I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't understand. Why. Probably going to suck for us all. Let's yeah. I mean, I'm going to just not sleep for a few years and it'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So thank you for, for just even recognizing this as a group that needs to be advocated for because it is. I think it really is too. And I always say when people express to me how other people are. I I honestly like to believe that people in their hearts are good. And I know it's actually not true, but I like (laughs) to believe that about people that they don't say these things trying to be mean. They are letting their own curiosity be a driving force and they don't understand how wrong it is, whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, discrimination or what, what they're doing and how off-putting it happens a lot with miscarriage too, right? So that we all know that you'll have a miscarriage and you've suffered from this and so have I, and people will make comments to try to make you feel better that make you really feel worse or upset or angry. Mm -hmm. Well, oh, well, it's a good thing that didn't work out or, oh, you weren't ready or, oh, it wasn't right or it wasn't meant to be or, yeah. I got a, um, I got a, well, maybe this is God's sign that he has a partner for you and you should just wait. Oh, murder me. I mean, (laughs) so I, I think that, and I try to tell people this, and this is not 
I mean, I, this isn't what I did when I was on the receiving end, you know, you just kind of like, I would just shut down when I was on the receiving of those comments. But I now tell people and I say, try to take that as a public service announcement message, because if you're strong enough to do it, we can't teach these people that that's wrong to say, because they really don't mean it. These are your friends and your family and your coworkers. They don't mean to be hurtful. They just are so unaware of something that they haven't experienced. So they can't imagine putting themselves in your shoes. And that's really what they're expressing. So I always say like, try to repeat that back to them. Mm-hmm. You know, just say, do you, do you really think like that feels hurtful to me for you to tell me that maybe I'm not meant to be a mom right, you know, right now mm-hmm. when I'm trying for this and I'm sure you didn't mean it that way, but that was hurtful because I feel like we have constant offenders doing the same thing. Yes. And by, you know, putting yourself out there, that's hard for you. Yes. But maybe you can change their perspective and then they'll yes. look at anybody who's having a miscarriage or, you know, trying to get pregnant as a single mom or in an LGBT relationship. They'll look at it different by saying, right. trying to give them the kindness that maybe they're not showing you, even though they're not trying to be rude about it there. Yeah. I think you have to really gauge your own bandwidth and your own kind of emotional energy with whether, whether you need to just kind of walk away or whether it's a moment where you have the energy and bandwidth to, to be that advocate and really kind of know the difference because it's not your job to be that advocate hundred percent of the time. If you are already kind of at your max emotionally, um, that's something I talk about with my friends of color and, you know, friends, LGBT friends, like it, it's just, you don't always have to be the advocate just because you're in the demographic, but when you can, and when the opportunity presents itself, um, it is so helpful. And, you know, just, we were talking about egg donation earlier. That's something that I think early on in my journey, that was one of those things that I was like, oh my God, what if, what if I can't use my own eggs? And that just seemed so terrifying. And I could name for you the mom and baby pair that completely normalized that for me. And the second I met them and knew that that baby was an egg donor baby, I was like, oh, well, then I could totally do that. Just because in real life, it just looks like a mom and a baby who are an amazing, like, that's yeah, exactly the baby was, she should have had. Exactly. And all I needed was that real life experience. And I was like, done. I don't have to overthink this ever again. If that's where this goes, I will do it. Okay. So we have been chatting for a while. So I would love to kind of wrap up. Is there anything else that you want to add or things that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? No, I feel like we could talk forever. So we'll have to do yep. like a follow-up with like Q&A. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Things. So I really appreciate your time and I would love for you to just share like, where can people find you? Where's the best way to connect with you if people have questions or just want to see what you're up to? Of course, Katie, thanks so much for having me. So I'm all over the place. So as I said earlier, my, the clinic that I practice at, if you're interested in being a patient is called Fora Fertility, F-O-R-A. So the website there is forafertilityaustin.com and their Instagram is at Fora Fertility. I have my own Instagram account at Natalie Crawford, MD. Website is nataliecrawfordmd.com. I'm on TikTok, Natalie Crawford MD, Twitter, in Crawford MD, all those places. I do have a YouTube channel, which you can just search Natalie Crawford MD and find it. And then I host the podcast called As a Woman. Might as well be my, you know, third baby because it takes all of my time, <laughs> love, and attention, as you know how podcasts are. Yes. But and I you ch- guys have to go listen to her podcast. Like, if nothing else, Episode one literally changed my life. Like I know people say that about like a taco, but I'm not kidding. Like that episode (laughs) really, really did change my life. So go and listen and then scroll through and there's so many good topics and just find all the ones that 
makes sense for you and listen because they're amazing. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, it really is a blend that podcast of fertility education, like really basic episodes, like menstrual cycle, age and fertility, IVF, egg freezing, and then just life stuff that I feel like we don't talk about as a woman enough, which is, you know, the contingent life, always putting off your own happiness. And, you know, as you said, I'm the leaving ambassador. So there's girl quit your job, which is all about <laughs> leaving things that are not right for you. And, you know, there's an episode called Mean Girl in Recovery because I feel like we have too much judgment of each other as women. And really, we can do a lot more if we just bring other women to our table and we're advocates for them and we amplify them. We can really help more people out than by being judgy or catty or any of those other things that we've probably all experienced throughout our lives. I'm just so proud of you. I've said it a lot of times and I just can't wait to see where this side of your journey is going to lead you because I know that you're touching so, so many lives and I'm so honored to be here and be a part of it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Okay. All right. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Single Greatest Choice Podcast. I'm your host, Katie B. You can learn about me and this project on my website, singlegreatestchoice.com. That's also the place to go if you're interested in being a future podcast guest. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to rate and review in iTunes. That helps more women to find our show. Until next time, I'm sending you all my love and support as you go about making the choices that will create a life you love.